0: For the good gift of everlasting arms and songs of faith that remind us of the deepest truths, thank you, O God, for you are the mystery of life. It is through you that we find our wholeness, our deepest purpose, our finest joy. And so this day may worship and reflection on text do more than just get us through the morning. May it transform us to be the boys and girls, the youth, the adults that you're calling us even now to be. We pray for our children and parents who are away from us this day at their own form of worship at Vacation Bible School Camp. May the same spirit that lit upon the church in the second chapter of Acts be present here this day, be present at Camp Cavanaugh and with churches all around the city. Hear us now, O God, as we unite ourselves not only with each other and you, but with all of your children in all voices and times and place in many languages who pray the prayer that Jesus taught, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We live, of course, in a world with an enormous amount of change, and one of the questions that haunts us is this is change good or bad is it constructive or destructive I'm personally grateful for lots of changes in this world in 100 years enormous changes have happened in the area of medicine, 100 years ago, the U.S.'s leading causes of death were things like pneumonia, influenza, tuberculosis, and diarrhea. I'm glad for changes in modern medicine. 100 years ago, a pharmacist wrote, heroin will clear your complexion, give buoyancy to your mind, regulate your brows, and give you general good health. I'm really grateful for changes in modern medicine. On the other hand... 100 years ago, in the United States, recorded murders numbered something like 250 nationally. Oh, for the good old days. So which is it? Oh, for the good old days? Or thank God for today? The problem is that in the midst of change we don't know which way it's going to go. We don't know if the change confronting us is good or if it's going to be bad. And as people of faith, we don't know what our role is to be. Are we to be progressive and welcoming of change? Or are we to be conservative and resistant to change? Or to put it another way, we might ask, is God done? Is God done? And so the work of the church is to preserve and guard what God has done in creation and the rules that God has set. Is that our work or is God not done? Not done. And therefore, our role as the church is to be on guard, on alert, watching for where God is breaking out and helping to transform and change the world around us. Last week... In this series from our lectionary readings, we looked about faithful acts in Acts chapter 10 and the change, the profound change that came upon the church. Quickly, I'll remind us that Simon Peter has this dream, this trance where he sees the sheep come down with all these animals in it, including animals that would have been uh, off limits for him as a good kosher Jew. He heard the voice. Speak to him saying, take and eat. And his response was, I would never eat that which was unclean. And the voice replied, not once, not twice, but three times. What I've called clean, don't you call profane. About that same time in Acts 10, the man named Cornelius, a Gentile, an Italian soldier, has a dream. To make connection with a man named Peter. So when the two of them meet, Peter tells Cornelius... This person searching for God, about the revelation and the transformation of God revealed in Jesus. Cornelius says, I'm in. I want it. And the Spirit of God that lit on the, on, on the disciples in Acts chapter 2 now come to Cornelius. And Simon Peter says, I now perceive that God shows no partiality. None. But in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is pleasing to God. It's a major game changer for the church. It's a great moment for duh. If it wasn't for that moment, we wouldn't be here for most of us aren't Jewish. But with every good thing, it seems, comes conflict. Acts 10 is followed by Acts chapter 11, which begins this way. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of the Lord. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? What are you doing? You hear the criticism. You hear the annoyance. You hear the sense of being offended that these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem had. They weren't privy to Simon Peter's vision. In fact, they didn't even know this was up for discussion. They didn't know that there was a possibility that we were going to consider inviting non-Jewish people to come and be part of our movement. Peter Why this unilateral act? Why not discuss it together and vote? We feel excluded. In fact, it feels like you don't trust us. And as I asked last week, does this feel familiar to us here at Highland? For the reality is that change is messy. Messy. Bill Wilson was with us a few weeks ago from the Center for Healthy Churches. He reminded us health is messy. Health is messy. A healthy, functioning human body is messy. It includes many bodily functions that aren't spoken of in polite pulpits. And the same is true with the church, the body of Christ, including this church, Highland Baptist Church. We've been messy lately. Our deacons concluded a few weeks ago, that we as a church cannot vote on same-sex weddings without voting also on the humanity of those persons who are gay and lesbians. They concluded, they realized, that if all of us are equal in the eyes of God and all are welcome in this church, then we all have equal responsibilities and equal rights. Good people, loving people, People who were supportive of gay and lesbian persons were annoyed by this decision. They were offended because it felt to them like we didn't trust them with the decision. Why didn't we get to discuss it? Why didn't we get to vote on it? We weren't privy to the conversations you all were having. In fact, we didn't even know this was up for consideration, they said, and they're right. They're right. They felt excluded and mistrusted. The only difference between this story, our story, and the story from Acts chapter 11 is that many of you got information about the conclusion the deacons reached via social media, and that felt even worse. These aren't mean-spirited people in our community who have these feelings. These are people who are processed people. They like to do things decently in order. They understand that life can't be carefree, that we need to think about things and process things. Last last week I used the analogy of the older brother and the prodigal son who sometimes get this bad rap as being this cranky old guy. But the reality is if it weren't for the older brother who stayed home and fed that calf, there wouldn't have been a fatted calf to have for the party with the younger brother, there would have been some scrawny little calf or a dead calf out in the field. Thank God for the older brother. Amen? Amen. The reality of life, including the reality of the church, is that we don't all receive the same information or have the same experience or come to the same conclusion at exactly the same time. Simon Peter understood this reality, how hard and radical it is to shift from thinking of Gentiles as people outside the fold, of of being people who followed the Levitical law to suddenly changing and welcoming and including these former enemies. He recognized how hard it would be to read the Bible and live the faith in an entirely different way. And so Simon Peter says after they make their complaint, Peter began, Luke writes, Peter began to explain it to them step by step with great patience and care. Saying, well, I was In the city of Joppa praying in a trance. And I saw a vision. And he goes on to tell the whole story from Acts 10 all over again. Step by step. He doesn't leave out one sentence. He doesn't do the yada, yada, yada. He doesn't do the you know know from there. He tells the whole story including these two dreams, these fantastic dreams. This meeting with Cornelius, this devout Gentile, the Holy Spirit. And finally he concludes if then God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Luke writes, when the Jerusalem Christians heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Isn't that a great ending? No wonder Simon Peter's the first pope of the church. I mean, you talk about a miracle. He tells them something, and they're silenced, and all of a sudden they agree. That, isn't that sort of like turning the water into wine or you know, parting the waters in the Red Sea? That's a pretty big deal. Perhaps the Jerusalem Church did get it, and they did mature like that in an instant and and changed their mind, and they didn't continue to argue argue we might conclude that if if we didn't read the rest of the book of Acts, where all is not well, where there are conflicts and Divisions. James is killed. Simon Peter's put back in prison. There are problems in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Saul and Barnabas are hassled by this magician named Bar-Jesus. There's jealousy among the Jews in Antioch and Iconium. And so four chapters later, just four chapters later in Acts chapter 15, there's conflict again with the Gentiles. Then certain individuals who came down from Judea And we're teaching the brothers saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. In other words, these folks were saying that the only way to be Christian were for adult Jews or adult Gentiles to be circumcised. Let all the men in the room say, ouch, ouch. They'd come up with kind of a compromise position they'd made, if you pardon the pun, they cut some slack to the Gentiles (laughs) by making them Jews first. But Paul and Barnabas recognized you can't do this. You can't start adding steps. And so in Acts 15, the apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, my brothers... You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to hear, to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Is change good or bad? it always seems to come slowly. Martin Marty, the preeminent church historian from the University of Chicago, says that major changes, major shifts in the life of the church take 300 years. 300 years. You think about even this issue of the Gentiles. There's already uh, things in the Hebrew scripture that, allude to the inclusion of Gentiles. There's the story of Jesus going to the Syrophoenician woman. There's the story of Jesus breaking through these divisions, touching the lepers. There's the story in Acts 2 of of the Spirit coming upon all the nations that surround Jerusalem. There's this story from Acts 10 and Acts 11 and then the story in Acts 15, but that's not the end of it. Paul and Barnabas... Despite their unity, they get annoyed with each other and they part ways. Paul picks up Silas and then adds Timothy in. In a moment of sort of a brain freeze, Paul calls on Timothy to get circumcised. Let all the men in the church say, ouch. And then we recognize that most of Paul's letters to the churches and to individuals were about conflict. By the way, he writes two letters to Timothy. I feel like he probably owed Timothy a little something. He writes to people who are resistant, but their resistance is always in love. Their resistance sometimes is born of stubbornness and power and control, but other times the resistance comes from a desire to be wise and careful and intentional with this thing that we love, the church. And that's what I hear from those who feel some resistance in our own community of faith. You love your church. You want what's best for it, and I honor that. The question before us is, how do those who advocate for change and those who are change-averse, what do we do in the meantime? How do we live together now? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just open the Bible and find the answer to all the problems before us for the 21st century we can just open the bible and say here's what we need to do about uh, lesbian and gay rights or same sex weddings in our church but the scripture is always more of a compass a compass than it is a road map it points us in a direction even if it doesn't tell us specifically how to get there this compass is consistent It always points us toward more, more inclusion, more love, more healing, more blessing, more unity among people, among all people, more uniting of enemies, more reconciliation, more hope in this world for at the core of life. Think about this, at the core of life. Is this call, this common origin and destiny and hope and need for understanding? I mean, even people who aren't religious get this truth that at the core of life, really, we're called to find our oneness and our unity. While issues like same sex marriage can seem important, what is even more foundational? What's at the center of who we are as a church? is this radical call to experience and embody this love of God revealed in Jesus and to make it flesh in this world, a world that's based on fear and greed and everyone taking care of his his own self or herself to recognize that we need each other, we need each other even and maybe especially in our differences it reminds me of the story of Noah and the ark and all those animals. Someone said, surely there was just this unbelievable volume of noise and the smell must have been awful. But the alternative was worse. Outside the ark was a storm and a flood and death. Inside the, the ark, there might have been smell and there might have been noise, but there was also life. Life. Inside this community, there's life. There's life if we'll stay together. A church that's really living into its call focuses bravely and with unrelenting courage on its mission to be and embody this love of God revealed in Christ, to not be deterred or divided or demoralized by all of our different understandings. I got to see a glimpse of this just this week, as I spent some days at our Passport Youth Camp with our kids, as Molly said, our Highland youth group is diverse. We've got kids that are large and small, younger and younger, and older. All kinds of different interests. Some kids are high, high achievers. Other kids are are challenged and kind of making their way. But there's this unity, this oneness that when you see it it takes your breath away for you realize you're getting a little glimpse of the kingdom of God this is what God desires for this there's this sense that the kids know this youth group not only has this motto that which was their youth Sunday theme no matter the road we walk it together but that they live into it that no one is left behind They can add in kids from inner city Miami, kids from the hood. They can add them, and you know what? They're still one because they get it. They get that differences aren't as important as what brings us together, that we need each other to embody Christ and to live out Christ. These kids aren't talking about Bible, carrying around Bibles just as a symbol. They're carrying around Christ in their hearts and living it out. And you see it. You see it, you see it when one of them triumphs, they, they all triumph. When one of them cries, they're all hurt. When one of them dances, they all dance. And when, you can be at a dance doing the electric slide, and you can look up and you see Jesus. Don't you know Jesus would have been a great dancer? I mean, anybody who can walk on water, man, I'm sure he would have been great at it. But you see him, and you realize this is the Jesus that I want to follow. One who loves everyone. One whose judgment is always based on love. And when you see it, it's like it's the pearl of great price. You'd sell everything to get it. Faithful acts are those that allow us to sort out our differences in this kind of love, in this hope, in this oneness. It doesn't require uniformity. It doesn't even require unanimity. It requires unity. I love their motto. In fact, I'd love to employ it for our whole church. No matter the road, we walk it together. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Ever-changing, ever-present God, you are the mystery of life that calls the world forward and especially your church to bear the love, to instill the hope, to call for unity among all your people so that we might live more wisely and maturely and wholly. In Jesus Christ, make us one now so that we might be faithful in all that we are and do to your glory now and forever. Amen. And so our hymn today chosen not only because of its meaning but as an invitation to you and me to be bound together in Christ. Uh, We recognize that our youth, for all of their many virtues, don't know this song. Many of us sang this song at the end of testy church business meetings or at the end of a Sunday night service. But to carry that tradition forward, we want to sing it today, both as a way to learn it and embody it, but also to invite you, if you might feel called today, to be part of what God is doing here at Highland, to unite with us. Let's stand together. The hymn is number 267.